You're listening to KLYT. Welcome back to ABQ Connect. It's Friday, and uh, typically you need to wait to the end of the hour for your Friday financial update. Uh, But uh, once a month or so, we're uh, pleased to bring you a full hour of solid financial information, uh, looking at our finances through a biblical worldview lens. And uh, we typically do that with Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates. Brian, welcome back into studio. Yeah, good to be here as usual. And as always, uh, we thank uh, uh, John Moore Associates for their support of Christian Radio here in New Mexico. Uh, I know, uh, you know, we talked to um, several business owners in our community, uh, Brian. And uh, before we jump into today's topic, um, just kind of off the cuff, uh, what uh, what's the motivation uh, for uh, sponsoring and, and supporting uh, something like KLYT, uh, bringing uh, the, the content that we bring to New Mexico? Well, it's twofold. We, we specifically support some of the Christian financial education programming through faith, uh, faith and finance and, uh, and that type of programming because we see a big gap in financial literacy in our country. And if we're going to educate people about money, we should do it through a biblical lens. We think that's where there's truth and wisdom. So we want to support that. Uh, and then we just love KLYT, the positive messaging, the uh, Bible-centered messaging, I think is really important to have that out on the airways. And knowing that people might even stumble upon, you know, a, a, you know one of the many great programs you guys have, all these wonderful thought leaders and preachers And just knowing that that God's word is out there for anyone to grab at any point is powerful because not everyone's going to stumble on a Bible, but they might trip on your radio station at a time of need. And maybe God puts that in front of them at the right time. And we've heard those testimonies, as I know you have, of people who maybe start their faith journey through Christian radio. Yeah. And uh, for, you know, fear of of tooting my own horn, it's not at all because I just feel, I I tell you, Brian, I feel privileged uh, to get up every morning and come to a place uh, where we're doing the work that's done here. And, and when I say the work that's done here, I'm talking about all these ministries, these nonprofit ministries who've, uh, you know, they, they need to be wise stewards of the resources they have. Uh, and they choose various places around the country uh, to uh, put their content on. And when I look at the lineup found at klyt.fm, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged just to know uh, the quality of content that is going out to a <laughs> Uh, a state that's in need. I mean, we're in a fallen world and mm-hmm. uh, there's plenty of uh, assistance that New Mexico uh, does need. And it's a blessing. And I will tell you uh, over the years, I, I thought uh, KLYT, you know, well, it's a, it's a, essentially to equip the saints. Uh, but it, it's, you know what, uh, uh, maybe in the last five years, more than any time that I've been here over 20 years, uh, realized, you know what, I mean, here, testimony. People come and tell me uh, just what you said, Brian. Uh, they're going across the dial and they find it. And God knows the hand of providence reaches. You know, the mm-hmm. message reaches the people that that He wants to reach. And uh, I'm blessed uh, uh, by the station as well. Uh, and again, appreciate uh, the the support we get from John Moore Associates. Uh, with that being said, uh, let's jump into the primary subject for today's discussion is education. And, uh, you may say, well, how does, you know, how does that line up with, well, it's not hard to figure out how it lines up with finances, Brian. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll just kind of, uh, set the stage in this first segment for what we'll be talking about uh, throughout the hour. 
Yeah, and I think the, the key topic here of education, a lot of people think about college funding, and that will be the, the core of our topic today. But we'll also talk about some K-12 through education concepts for those who might have to pay that out of pocket with private school opportunities. Um, but it's, it's a big cultural challenge for us. What do we do about the cost of education? And it's a, a big political conversation, and it's a conversation in a lot of American families of, you know, I, I want my child to have the best opportunities possible. So... Often that includes pursuing a higher education, and that is an expensive proposition. And uh, you see that in the numbers. You know, we're at about just under one point eight trillion dollars of student loan debt as a wow. nation right now. That's a huge number. Well, one point eight. One point eight. So uh, do the, do the quick math. Almost two trillion dollars mm-hmm. of what are we at? Thirty one trillion. Yeah. So <laughs> well, that's the government debt is yeah. the thirty plus trillion, but. Yeah, and, and that's a big hindrance for a lot of people, especially young people, to doing other things yeah. with their lives, buying a home, buying a car, getting married, when you have that kind of debt hanging over your head. And so I think the challenge for a lot of families is how do I avoid that? And we know as believers, the Bible is, is chocked full of warnings about debt. You know, the borrower is slave to the lender. It's, yeah. So you don't want to be a slave to your college education um, when you come out of school. So... Uh, you know, it, it's something that we can do a better job as a society preparing for. I certainly have my own political opinions as to why that's such a big number and, and what we should be doing about it. We'll kind of stay out of that today yeah. and focus more on what are some good principles and resources available to help people fight that cost. And, you know, you mentioned, too, you know, getting out of school and having this, you know, big thing of debt. And I think going into it, uh, sometimes we tell ourselves things like, uh, and, you know, and it may, and it may work out this way in some cases. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and parents will get on that board, you know, jump on board there, uh, uh, with their name mm-hmm. and their credit, uh, and, um, uh, you know, with the idea, well, we're going to get them to a place where they'll, they'll come out of school, they'll be a professional and then they'll be able to pay us back right. uh, or, you know, or not, you know, maybe that wasn't the intent, but sometimes, and, and, uh, there's just, I, I think oftentimes the best laid plans of mice and men. Yep. Well, and what we try to teach about all debt and student loan debt certainly fits into this is that debt presumes on the future. <clears throat> so right. Exactly. You're making an assumption and, and you're restricting future opportunities. Um, we just did a presentation. I say we, it was myself and two of our associates uh, one of whom used to be a pharmacist and has connections in the, the pharmacy world. We went and taught some basic finance to um, uh, the pharmacy school at UNM. They have a, a really robust program there for pharmacists. And in our research, we found the average pharmacist graduate leaves school with $170,000 of student loan debt. That's a house. And with the interest included, <laughs> if you want to pay that over 10 years, that's almost $2,000 a month of yeah. payments for 10 years. So when we talk about this, not, that's not the average by any means of, of all professions, but when you talk about these more advanced professions and careers that we need filled, we, we need nurses, pharmacists, doctors, all these professionals, um, many of whom will, will need to take on debt. Well, and keeping them in problem. New Mexico is a whole nother story. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, but the economics are part of that, right? They're going to yeah. go where they can get the best salary knowing they need to overcome this debt. Yeah. So if they can get better pay somewhere else, they're going to do that. But that's the type of thing we're talking about here is is people who are coming out now the average pharmacist walks out the door and makes 130,000 a year so can they service that debt yes but what does that do to their giving opportunities what does that do to their savings opportunities their ability to buy a home 
uh, pay for the, the very expensive cost of having their own family. So this is a big burden for us as a culture, and we've got to figure it out. But there are some solutions out there, and there are, like I said, some principles. One of the first things we teach, Steve, and you kind of alluded to this in your comments a minute ago, is we use the uh, the airline analogy of when the masks drop from the ceiling in uh-huh. the case of low cabin pressure. <laughs> what do they say, Steve? If, if you have a child with you and the mask, who, who gets the mask first? You get the mask first so you can take care of the child. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, the child has no one. Exactly. And that's one of the principles we try to teach first off. Yes, college is important uh, for a lot of families. Yes, it's something that they'll need to pay for. But we often say that if you have a child and you have not already set yourself up with, you know, by paying off your your highest uh, interest debts, if you have not started a retirement savings plan that puts you on ta- on track for your own financial independence, if you're not giving as you'd like to give, if you haven't checked those boxes first, College funding should come after all of those things. So we like to say, I put the mask on yourself first when it comes to your finances. And part of the spirit of that, Steve, is that there are options for students to take debt if they need to. But when you get to retirement, if you paid a bunch of money for your kids to go through school and did not save for your retirement, your options are pretty darn limited, especially if you get old uh, to the point where you're not physically and mentally capable of, of participating in employment. So yeah. So okay, that's a kid, big clear out the extra bedroom. Mom <laughs> and dad are moving in. Yeah. And we often think that, you know, some people want to take care of their parents in their old age and that's fine. But we think one of the best gifts you can give your children is your own financial independence. Yeah. You know, let them live their lives and be there to support you, but not be required to carry you. So I think that's one of the first principles we teach. So for those of you listening, who might be thinking, you know, that's right. I should be saving for my kids' education. Have you paid off your high interest consumer type debts? You know, do you have your emergency reserve and are you saving for retirement? If you haven't checked those boxes, you haven't gotten to the place where, where college should take precedent. All right. Well, it's, it's clear that, uh, uh, preparing for education isn't something that's done in, you know, a week or two, uh, <laughs> or any split second, uh, decisions to be made and, and planning is something, uh, that should be, um, strongly considered. And we're going to, we're going to cover, uh, much of, uh, the information you're going to need as you prepare for your children's and grandchildren's education, or maybe we're speaking directly to uh, someone who needs to plan for their education. Maybe uh, you don't have uh, that uh, uh, support around you and you feel like an island out there. Well, uh, there's ways to get assistance, and we're going to cover a lot of that as we walk through uh, today's full hour of our Friday financial update uh, with Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates. A reminder johnmoore.com on the insights tab uh you'll find all kinds of information uh and i'm sure if you dig deep enough you may not need to dig that deep you'll find information uh about um how to financially prepare for education we're going to continue our conversation with uh, brian cochran we'll be back right after the break well welcome back into our conversation Uh, in studio with us is brian cochran from john moore associates johnmoore.com and uh, today's discussion is on the topic of education. And, uh, we, we talked a little bit in our first segment, Brian, you know, when we talk about, uh, college education, not necessarily college, when we talk about private school leading up to, to college, uh, you know, the, the topic of debt, uh, comes, comes up qu- quickly. How, what should our thoughts be towards that? Well, as we talked about in the first segment that, there's a lot of warnings in the Bible about debt because it presumes on the future. 
and the, the borrower is slave to the lender. So the first principle on the debt is that it should be avoided if possible, if at all possible. And so how do you avoid debt? Well, there's sort of uh, some of the obvious things, you know, trying to obtain scholarships and student aid is one way to avoid debt. One thing that a lot of people forget about is there's something called the federal work study program. That was a big part of how I paid for my own personal education. Um, just kind of my, my education stories, my family didn't save for my education. We didn't have a lot of means. All my siblings and I were pushed to be strong academically. So I did earn scholarships. I went to a private um, Christian college that was at the time, this is back in the late nineties, early two thousands was $25,000 a year for tuition room and board. It's over 65,000, I think for the same school now. Um, but you know, I had $10,000 in a, uh, scholarship for academics. So that almost cut it in half. Yeah. And I made up a lot of the rest with a little bit of student loans, but also with federal work study, which is a part-time work program that allows you to get either on or off campus um, jobs to pay for, um, pay for your school. And that was a big part. I think my parents wanted me to have some, um, some skin in the game, you mm -hmm. know, and that was one way to do it. And it helped limit the debt that I had when I walked out. And actually I take a little pride in the fact that in, in my senior year, I was the highest paid student on campus because <laughs> I'd worked my way up in, in my little mini career as a student. And so that's one thing I, I don't know why, but I've worked with some families that they really don't want their kids to have to work while they're in college. And I think that's, so that's kind of an odd precedent uh, for, for later in life. So that's one thing to be aware of. There's a form you fill out when you're applying for schools called the FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A, -A -S -S FAFSA. And in that, you you check that you're willing to do work study. Uh, and I think that can be a great addition. So before you take on the debt, look at scholarships and grants. There's many out there. Um, there can be some offered, let's say you're a union carpenter. There's scholarship programs for children of union carpenters. You know, there's things like that to look for. Veterans. Uh, veterans, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, sort of niche scholarships. Right. Some of those are $500 a year, $1,000 a year, but heck, you know, <laughs> go out there and earn, earn those scholarships. Yeah. Um, so scholarships certainly help me. It can help a lot of families. Work study is the second step, and then only when you can't fund anything else, then you take on debt. And as we talked about, debt's significant part of how people pay for college nowadays. The reason I start with that, which may seem sort of obvious for the listener, is I see a lot of young people who just default to the debt. They just say, well, if I can get a loan, why not? Why not just take the loan? I'm good to go. Um, and I think it's, it's you know, delaying that responsibility. And then you walk out of school and you've got thirty, fifty, dollars $100,000 of student loan debt yeah. to pay off, not thinking about what that really looks like on the back end. So uh, a couple of things come to mind for me uh, that, I, that I have to imagine that some of the listeners are, you know, the same questions are coming up in their mind. Um, now, first of all, uh, the, the federal work study program, um, is there a requirement for how many uh, hours uh, you'll be taking each semester? And does it limit how many hours you can work uh, yeah, there's only so many hours you can work and so much you can earn through that program. It's meant to be part-time. Yeah. Um, and you do have to keep your grades at a certain level to earn it. Um, okay. So it's almost like a work-grant program, so sort it's of more, the spirit of it. It's you know? more GPA-driven uh, than it is how many credit hours. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, and, and the key there is, and you can look up your own details on, on that program and look at specific work opportunities on the campus where you're, going to school, but the key there is don't just default to the loans. Yeah, uh, I was able to keep a full 
you know, work study program and full education, you know, finished college in the normal four years, it's doable. Um, I think some people just lean on the loans more than they, they should. And, and those opportunities are out there. And even if it's not the federal work study program, yeah. going out and finding some right, way right. to stay employed and, and earn, I actually had the work study program and another job in college yeah. so I could have a little spending money as well. well and and so. we're, we're in, a, in an environment right now. Uh, I think we're still in that post pandemic, uh, where, uh, employers for, you know, uh, low level entry jobs, they're going through employees like water through a spigot. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, even to the point where people, you know, I hired him today and he didn't show up for work the next day. Uh, I, you know, I'm talking to enough people. I think that's still a thing. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing though, I wonder if people aren't, you know, it's going through their head. I'll let you address it. Um, well, uh, while I am in, or while my child is, you know, um, seeking more education, I want their attention on that. I want them to succeed mm-hmm. at that and work would be a distraction. Yeah. And I understand the spirit of that, but I mean, the reality for my life is I left school and I had my job and then I had other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I volunteer, I've been on boards. Um, I have children I take care of. I coach them. I do other things. Life is not so simple as I'm just going to focus on my job and then play the rest of the time. Yeah. So I think it helps set fair expectations for my for real life, if you want to call it that, yeah. when I left college, I, was I used love that. To that. I love that. Practice makes permanent, and, yep. and and you know, and if you're in a place where you're going uh, for higher education, and while you're putting a lot of energy uh, towards getting good grades, uh, to do you know something like a job mm-hmm. um, uh, is preparing you for when you know, like you, exactly what you said, uh, so that when you are uh, you know in a career, uh, that's not your soul. There's things outside of that that you're um, giving uh, yourself to other things that are mm-hmm. good for your family, good for the community. Um, and, and I want to say this too, because uh, I know that thought comes up, you know, about, no, don't, don't worry about work. Just focus on school and get good grades. Trust me, uh, 12, 14, 15, 16 credit hours, uh, uh, young people still find a way to do other things that uh, probably aren't as beneficial yeah. as as going to work. Yeah, you mean it with some idle hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah keeping yourself yeah. just honestly keeping you, yourself out of trouble. Yeah, and the other thing that people forget about, I I do the hiring for my firm, and when I look at a resume for a young person out of college, they don't have career experience, but I respect when they have work experience. Yeah, even if it's not related to my field. Yeah, it means a lot to me when I look down and see maybe yeah maybe, maybe they've done a financial planning internship and that puts them in a position to work with us. But I also see that they did an on-campus job, an off-campus job. There's something to that when you're starting to build your young resume rather than someone just shows up and says, "I got a degree," but I don't know, I don't have any employers I can t- call as a reference. It's nice to have that as part of your kind of your leap into the real world, the real real career. So I think. The key theme here, Steve, I think is that, you know, again, honor the, the Bible's warnings about debt and avoid it at all costs, which even may include working more to keep out of uh, student student loan debt while you're in college. Brian, um, you know, and you mentioned the the various scholarships that are out, out there. I mean, clearly the, the scholarships that are provided by the universities for students who excelled academically in high school, but even the, the ones that you mentioned, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, are there any organizations or professionals um, that uh, 
um, help that hold the hand of families and students mm-hmm. to, they go, let me show you, let me show you what you can find. Yep. Yeah. There's college planners, college counselor, uh, independent folks outside of any schools or anything, anything like that. And, and we, we've worked with some of those and, one of the favorite sayings I heard from from one of the college counselors is there is no perfect college, but there may be a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. And this idea of some people get hung up looking for the perfect school or expecting a school that they've committed to to be perfect, but really should be looking at the perfect fit. And part of the perfect fit is the economics. It, it, it can't. It can be a great school, but if if it's going to bury you in debt, that shouldn't be part of your. You shouldn't ignore that as part of your selection process. Yeah. And I love that about a lot of these counselors do a good job filling in the gaps. Yeah, this might be a great option, but unless we can make the money work, we need to keep looking and they can look at scholarships and other opportunities. That was the case again for my own education is I like the idea of going to the school I attended, but if not for that $10,000 a year of presidential scholarship for academics, I would have had to keep looking. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, there's some great insight uh, in ways that that, uh, you can make something that seems impossible uh, actually happen. And I think Brian's encouragement and my encouragement would be before you decide it can't happen, go out and uh, see what you can do. Uh, and it might be more possible, uh, than, than you think. Uh, so, uh, we are in the midst of a conversation, uh, with Brian Cochran from John Moore associates, johnmoore.com is the website. And, and again, uh, some of this information you'll uh, more than likely find on the insights tab uh, at johnmore.com. Uh, we're going to spend the full hour uh, for our Friday financial update on this topic, and there's uh, more to come. Actually, uh, let's tease them, Brian. Uh, what uh, For those that uh, think they've got something better to do here, let's keep them dialed in because they don't want to miss what's coming up. Yeah, we're going to talk more about 529 plans, the options to save ahead of time for college. Um rather than you know, acquiring debt or being so dependent on work study. All right. And, uh, and, uh, and with that, you know, anytime you're dealing uh, with savings and what you can and can't do, uh, the rules change. We'll let you know uh, the, the latest about that as well. It's all coming up as our discussion continues on ABQ Connect. Our discussion on education and how that impacts finances, how we should be looking at it through a biblical worldview lens uh, that continues as part of our Friday financial update uh, with Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates. And uh, uh, Brian, uh, you'd do it much better than I, uh, kind of recap where we've gone, uh, and then we'll jump into uh, the next topic about uh, savings for education. Yeah, well, we talked about how college is obviously an expensive endeavor these days, and it's put us about $1.8 trillion in debt as a nation uh, with student loans. And one way to avoid that, you know, for yourself is to look ahead and save, which we'll talk about more in a second, but also to focus on work study opportunities and other considerations rather than just assume that, you know, any education opportunity is is great and you can just get a loan because um, the Bible has very adamant warnings that um, tell us to be careful about taking on debt. All right. Uh, There is a way uh, to prepare for the cost of education, uh, whether it's um, going into college or uh, we've, we talked about parents and grandparents, Brian, uh, mm-hmm. putting savings aside uh, for children to have options other than public school for K through 12. Yep. Yep. And the most popular savings option for education is something called a 529 plan, 529. 
And the reason it's popular is because it has specific tax advantages and is designed specifically for funding education. So the way those tax advantages work, if you're a New Mexico resident, um, you can save in one of the New Mexico 529 plan offerings, and you actually get a state income tax deduction when you make the contribution. So Steve, the way that works is, let's say you're my son, Steve, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. You're clearly showing a lot of opportunity and, and potential for uh, a higher education. So you say, I better start saving for Steve's education. So I become the owner of the plan, you are the beneficiary. And I fund the plan through making contributions. And if I say give $10,000 to the plan, the average New Mexico tax is about 5%. So I would save $500 on my state income tax for putting $10,000 in your account. Now there are limits to how much you can put in. It's basically the gift limit, which is $17,000 per beneficiary per year. But one cool thing about 529 plans uh, for those you know maybe wealthy parents and grandparents that wanna catch up, is you can do up to five years of accelerated gifting at once. So that's over $80,000 you can pump into a plan in one given year. And where does that come in? Sometimes we have grandparents or parents that are trying to reduce the size of their estate. There's benefits to doing that at certain times. So they will accelerate giving and push as much money to the grandchild or child as possible. And the 529 allows them to do that at an accelerated pace. And what's cool is, uh, you know, let's say, um, my siblings or my parents, your grandparents, Steve, want to fund that plan, they can also make contributions. And if they're New Mexico residents, they can also get a state income tax deduction. So that's the upfront benefit is that that uh, benefit at the state uh, tax level. Can uh, a 529 that is you know, earmarked for a specific student, um, uh, can more than one person have a 529 uh, for that student? Uh, yeah, so you can set up different plans for that beneficiary, that student. Um, and then what's kind of neat is, let's say if you go on and you decide, I'm gonna pursue a military career, so I'm not going to need this college yeah. fund, I can move that to my other children. Um, and even your cousins could benefit from that, You know, my nieces and nephews. So you can push that plan to other beneficiaries if needed. Um, which is a nice point of flexibility there. And, and for families with multiple children, that might be the type of flexibility that they say, well, that might be a good fit for me then because I don't know if my first child will use it, but I, you know, one of my three or four kids may want to use this plan. So they try to make it flexible to an extent. Um, so the other tax benefits, there's really three tax benefits to the 529. We talked about upfront, you get the state tax deduction. Right. As the plan grows, you do not have to pay tax on the dividends or interest or capital gains. Basically, you don't have to pay tax on the growth as it accrues, which is similar to like a retirement plan. Right. You know, it's tax sheltered. So you're growing it and you're not facing that headwind of taxes. And a lot of people don't really appreciate how powerful that can be, you know, that you're not having to take some off the top every year to pay a tax liability on the growth. So you're letting it grow and grow. And then the third tax benefit is upon withdrawal, you do not have to pay tax as long as it's used for a qualified education expense, which could be everything from room and board to tuition to a laptop computer to your books and fees. I'm, I'm hearing no tax. Yep. I mean, and because and, I was going to ask, so how, okay, a couple things I see how this differs from a retirement account is the, uh, the upfront state benefit that you get. Uh, but you know, when you eventually take uh, money out of your 401k or 403b, you have to pay taxes then. Mm -hmm. uh, but with the 529, uh, if, you, if you do it right, 
it never gets taxed. Yep, play by the rules, and it has a wonderful benefit. So you can see why this is attractive. Um, now, what's the trade-off of that? Anytime we're awarded some sort of tax <laughs> benefit, there's there's always a flip side. Now, the trade-off is if you were to withdraw those funds, and Steve, using the example that you're my son, and I say, hey, you got a lot of potential, let's put $50,000 over the few years in a 529 plan so we're ready for your education costs. And you say, ah, I'm, not, I'm not doing that, I'm going another direction with my life. Um, if I take that money out and go buy myself a car instead, that's not a qualified education expense, then I will pay taxes and a 10% penalty on all growth that I achieved in that plan. So let's say I put in 50,000 for you and it grew to be $100,000. That delta, the, the $50,000 of profit I accrued yeah. over the years, uh, I would pay a tax and a penalty on that. So right. higher, it's I a mean, pretty big slap on the wrist. Yeah, uh, right. You you can really only put the money in there that, that you intend to go towards someone's education. Right, um, well said. Including your own. Yeah, and it can yeah it can be used for the parents. So, so it's I mean I mean a, I wonder how many you know, like he said you know you get students you know you get children or grandchildren uh, and then you know here's a five twenty nine that a parent or grandparent did and none of the kids are you know at a place where it can be used for them. You have to wonder how many parents and grandparents have said I'm going back to school. Yeah. It's from my experience being a planner for 17 years now, I have yet to see anybody in a position where they took a withdrawal because the money wasn't needed for education. Yeah. And there's two reasons for that. One is most people don't save a ton of money in these plans. So there's a relatively small balance that could be eaten up by, even if there's good scholarships, you still have the, the laptop and the books yeah. and the fees and you know, the cost of college, anyone who's been through it recently knows it, it all adds up. You feel kind of nickel and dimed. So they might get their tuition paid for, but there's everything else. Um, and the second reason is because the flexibility of bouncing between different beneficiaries, different children that could use the education right. funds. Now, here's a new point of flexibility. There's two new things that have come out in the last several years that I think really make the 529 more flexible and maybe a more attractive tool for, for many families. The first is that you can now use a 529 plan up to $10,000 per year for K through 12 education. And uh, every state adopted that at their own pace. New Mexico was a little slow, but now we have it. So, for example, my kids go to Hope Christian. That's about the tuition cost per year. It's less than 10000 but pretty close. So I could put money in a 529. So where I think that helps is um, we don't know if every kid's going to pursue higher education. But if you're a strong Christian family and you know that locally here, for example, Albuquerque public schools is maybe not where you want your kid to go. And you know that when they're born, you can start to accrue money in an education plan, like a 529 and have the grandparents contribute, have everyone rally around that kid and start saving today and getting tax-free growth so that when that child hits middle school or elementary school or high school, whenever you want to start providing a private K through 12 education, you can curb the cost of that with money you've saved and grown on a tax-free basis. Okay, so uh, 529s uh, so far this morning, we've, we've said you can consider that for private education uh, or for, you know, uh, after high school education. Um, what about homeschoolers? Can homeschoolers do a 529? And then if they can show uh, that the money's being used for education, uh, a la a trip to the Smithsonian, um, uh, you know, uh, to... Um, do do their curriculum uh, that way, or or other things? They're you know, uh, you know, well, books and 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 curriculum are are something. Is 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 homeschooling 
um, uh, are, are they not included uh, when it comes to saving for 529? Generally, it's the tax exemption, the tax-free withdrawal or for a qualified education yeah. expense is just for private schools. Okay. Every state's different. New Mexico, again, just adopted the K-12. through And last I talked to the folks at the 529 plans, they said that homeschooling currently is not allowed yeah. in, in New Mexico. Now, that's been several months. That may have changed. So yeah. don't hold me to that. We have a lot of families at homeschool, so I need to keep on top of that. But yeah, that that is one of the first questions I asked when New Mexico adopted it is, are we going to include homeschool? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, whoever <laughs> uh, whoever it is that uh, works towards changing those uh, uh, qualifications, um, boy, uh, just take a look at uh, the effectiveness of, of homeschooling. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's the, now the the five twenty nines are government regulated, and it's essentially the government that makes those decisions. Am I am I right? Right. Okay. Right. So you would think the government, you would hope the government would look at statistics uh, with homeschool families uh, and seeing you know how many of them go on to uh, higher education, how many uh, of them you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, how many times have you seen a homeschool student go from homeschooling and then into maybe a high school situation, public or private or charter and excel, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, statistically higher than students that maybe even went to private school or public school. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, thought, you know, we, we, we homeschooled kids essentially K through eight. Mm-hmm. And then our kids, uh, for the most part, uh, went to charter high schools. Yep. Uh, and then some on to further education. Well, and I think the key here is for a lot of families, the only way to fund private school later is to start saving early, Yeah, you know, and curb the cost of that. So it's a nice new option to have in the private school. And again, especially locally here, we see a lot of folks who just aren't satisfied with the local public schools from an education or a cultural or values perspective. Yeah. Well, great. Start saving now for, for your little newborn baby that's yeah. going to need that. And then if they don't use the money for K through 12, maybe you end up using it for college, but what a great point of flexibility that's fairly new. Well, some great information for those considering uh, uh, alternatives to public school or education after high school. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion on our Friday financial update with Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates when we come back from the break. And our final segment gets underway for our Friday financial update. Now, this segment typically the time for our Friday financial update. We spent the full hour today with Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates, and we're going to wrap up. Uh, today talking a little bit more uh, about um, uh, finances and uh, you know looking at how to uh, use them correctly as, as they apply towards education uh, and looking through a, a biblical worldview lens. And Brian, we've, we talked a lot about uh, already 529s and how they can be used to save money um, prior to kids going into private schools for K through 12 or uh, for education after high school. And now the question, you know, and we, we actually already talked too about, you know, what happens if that money isn't used uh, towards education, the penalties that can be, that, you know, can be applied. Um, however, uh, 529 is set up and um, the, the kids have gone to school and what, what was intended for that education has been used and there's still money in the 529. Uh, that may not happen often, but uh, it may happen. And if it does, is there a way to avoid any of those penalties? Yeah, there, there's a few. So um, one is that 
uh, many people who don't spend the money on five their 529 balance for education, it's because there were scholarships earned. Yeah. And if you get a tax-free scholarship um, for education, you can actually take a withdrawal from your 529 dollar for dollar. So if I get a $10,000 scholarship for my higher education, I can then take out money from my 529 and not face that penalty. I think that's the government's acknowledgement that, you know, that, that that's not the, the intention is not to, you know, dissuade scholarships or penalize a scholarship. Right. So, I mean, you, you could, know, so. you could, um, you could do a, a trip to Europe or you could, uh, take that $10,000 and, uh, put it elsewhere that it can, t- can continue to grow, uh, with yep. no penalty. So, yeah, so you can, you can take that money, then you can take that money out dollar for dollar and you don't pay a penalty. You may still have to pay tax on the yeah. earnings, but at least you're not getting dinged with an extra penalty. Yeah. The other option that's new that I think is, is pretty interesting and exciting. Let's say again, you go K through 12, you go through four years of undergraduate, you go out into the workforce and you've got a balance still sitting there in your 529 plan. The beneficiary can move money out of the plan into a Roth IRA. So for those who aren't familiar, Roth IRA is a post-tax savings tool. So you don't get a deduction when money goes into it. The benefit is that it grows tax-free and comes out tax-free as long as you take it until age 59 and a half. So let's say I'm 22 years old. I finished my undergraduate degree. I've got $30,000 in my 529. I can take out up to the annual contribution limit to a Roth IRA, which right now is $6,500. I can take that out, put it in a Roth and start growing money for my retirement and now making that even a longer term savings vehicle that's growing on a tax-free basis. So I'm getting a head start on my retirement funding. So you can take out up to the annual limit. The total you can do in your lifetime under the current rules is 35000 So I might have several years that I can fund my Roth IRA right out of my education savings plan, uh, my 529, and bump that over and move it into Roth and then enjoy continued uh, tax-free growth and then potentially tax-free withdrawal if I hold it long enough. Uh, and if you do the math, if that young person at, you know, uh, 22 starts a Roth and grows that money tax-free for, you know, 40 years for retirement. That's a, a big tax-free pool they're building for their future financial independence. That's the newest flexibility uh, piece there that was passed in, in legislation last December that I think is a pretty outstanding point of flexibility there. So, and, and the $35,000 limit total to be able to do that in your lifetime seems pretty modest, but again, this is only if you haven't spent it on everything else. So you might've saved a hundred thousand dollars in a 529 plan as an aggressive saver. You know, by the time you get K through 12, any private school and, you know, four years of, of school of tuition, room and board, books, fees, right. laptop, all that stuff that you can spend on. Even after all that, if you have money left over 35,000 seems like a pretty fair amount that you can shift over and, and grow tax-free uh, indefinitely, basically. Now, Brian, is there any reason to take money that's in a, um, a you know, retirement account or some other sort of savings account uh, and move it from where it is into a 529? Not in most cases because um, I'll, there's one exception to this, but again, let's use the example that I'm a parent and you're my child, Steve. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're my kid, I'm probably my 30s, 40s, you know, something like that. Um, and if I was to take any money out of my retirement accounts, I'd face taxes and penalties and all kinds of restrictions. So you can't just shift that money over. Um, where the exception of that is, is for grandparents. 
specifically grandparents who are over age 73, which means they have to take money out of their retirement account each year. Uh-huh. So it's called the required minimum distribution. So if you hit 73, what we see is some of those grandparents live very modest lifestyles. They have pensions and social security, they have other income streams, they have low expenses. So they have this money that they're forced to withdraw from their retirement account and they look around and they look at us and they say, well, I think I'll just reinvest this. And what we suggest is rather than just switch pockets and take it from your IRA pocket and put it in your joint account pocket, is there the next generation, do they have needs? And maybe you can move that money into a 529. They can enjoy a state tax deduction for that. So it repurposes the money in a tax advantage savings tool rather than just put it in a joint account where they'll have to pay tax on the dividends and interest. And if education is important to that family, what a great blessing to their grandchildren to help give them a head start. So, okay, now they've moved that money into that 529 and then they they go, wait a minute, uh, uh, grandchild B, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, they've graduated from uh, secondary education, you know, uh, that accrued a debt. Mm -hmm. Can that money from that 529 be taken out of that and put towards that debt? Uh, with no penalty and no taxes? Unfortunately, that's not a point of flexibility. So, But I think the general theme here is if you have to take money from your retirement account, why not look at ways to bless the next right. generation? Right, and then just rather straight than just towards that debt. Mindlessly yeah. accru- accruing funds you know, to eventually be inherited, um, you know, help people now. Right, right, but, right. You know, and that money you have to take out uh, because you're over, would you say, 73? 73 is the age now. Um, yeah. yeah, you're going to get taxed on it. Uh, there's, yeah. yeah, there's no, <laughs> once you have it in that retirement account that, uh, requires it to be taxed when it comes out, there's, there's no missing that man. The, uh, the, well, there is an exception where you can take that money out and give it directly to a charity and it can not okay. be taxed. But for some of our clients, they say, well, okay, I, I might do some to charity, some to family. The 529 is a great way to bless your family. And the last thing I'd note on this whole theme, Steve, is I think there's a lot of families today that are looking around Christian families in particular that say, Hey, you know, UNM was a great source of my education or my local public school. And now they're looking around going, Hmm, I wonder if, if that's the same institution it was 30 years ago when I went there or 40 years ago, or, you know, what are the values? What are the, what's the quality of the education? I'm not poo-pooing UNM thriving university, but there are people who are questioning that. And this whole conversation we're having today is, you know, the traditional, in-state public school low-cost option may or may not be the best option based on your family's values and and what you're trying to achieve because college is not just about learning a a profession it's really where you start to form your your values and your beliefs and and your worldview as a young adult and not everyone agrees that that's the best you know the, the traditional public university where the funding is is the best place to do that so that's what's driving i see more and more of our clients thinking about 529s because they want to make sure there's enough resources to pursue an education wherever it might be, uh, private or public, that right. fits with the values and, the again, the perfect fit, even if it's not the perfect college. Well, I won't actually ask this question, but I want to bring it up because I asked it last week, um, and uh, I asked you, uh, uh, 520, okay, the person listening is like, okay, I want to, I wa- I'm ready. I want to do a 529. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's something I should do. Um, and uh, should they reach out to uh, a financial advisor? And the answer you gave me last week uh, was uh, typically you encourage uh, um, the people who come to you regarding a 529 to go directly to people. Uh, sim- for example, 
the state of New Mexico has the education plan. Um, they can go and talk to them directly about that or, you know, talk directly to others that uh, uh, facilitate 529s. Right. And if you search New Mexico 529, you're going to get the two offerings for New Mexico. Uh, if you have a financial advisor, certainly going to that professional and saying, hey, can you help give me some guidance on what I should be thinking about here? But my encouragement is if you don't have a financial advisor, this is one of the more simple things to implement in the world of finance. So it is something you can do on your own. And and the advisor sold plans come with certain commissions and fees that you can avoid if you do it directly on your own. So that's something to think about. Each family is going to be different in that sense and, and how they value that advice. But uh, the key here is, um, I understand so I've got a freshman and an eighth grader right now. Yeah, Those years fly by. You know, so yeah. if you're waiting to fund it because, oh, it's just not the right time. I mean, you can start off with you know $50 a month or something into that 529, get your foot in the door Yeah, uh, because the time flies. You've got adult kids now. You I know. will tell you, Brian, they'll, they'll be walking down the aisle next. Be ready. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there's no tax advantage savings opportunities for weddings. Um, but, but no, it's, it, it does happen fast. We hear that from families all the time. So get started on this. Yeah. Be smart about it. And above all, do everything you can to avoid a heavy debt burden for that student. Okay. And on johnmore.com on the Insights tab, uh, if you do a search there, you will find information on 529. Yep. Our latest blog post is all about 529. All right. Well, Brian uh, Cochran has been our guest the full hour uh, for our Friday financial update. And I uh, look forward to having you back uh, next Friday, uh, Brian, as always. And uh, thanks uh, for your time. Thanks for your support again of uh, Christian Radio here in New Mexico. Specifically, uh, the faith and finance program you hear daily on KLYT, uh, which includes the uh, the Faith by short feature that's aired throughout the day uh, as well. Uh, Brian, thanks again uh, for your time and look forward to having you back. My pleasure. All right. Have a great weekend and we'll uh, catch up with you Monday, one o'clock on ABQ Connect.